There's about a thousand people that have already signed an online petition against skyrocketing housing prices, not just here in Vancouver, but across the country. And this uh, affects particularly young people. Paul Kershaw is the founder of Generation Squeeze, an advocacy group for policies that are more millennial generation oriented uh, than perhaps some of the other generations. Is, Is that a fair assessment? Um, Generation Squeeze is building a political voice for Canadians in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Uh, so that actually is Gen, uh, that's Gen uh, X and the millennial groups together because the data show they're the demographic who are now earning uh, incomes that are thousands of dollars lower than uh, a generation ago once you adjust for inflation, uh, but then face housing prices that are up hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so that's squeezing these demographics for time and money and housing's at the epicenter of this problem. I get it. Okay, so Mr. Kershaw, if you would, break down the ages for us so that we, we have a working parameter here. Who are millennials? Who are the Xers? Uh, you know, I don't have to worry too much about those labels, but the millennials are more those sort of in uh, early 30s and younger uh, into early 20s, and then the Xers are kind of late 30s into late 40s, um, mid-30s to later 40s. Well, we don't want to worry too much about labels, but when we're picking things off the shelf, we want to make sure that we grab the one that doesn't have the cross and skull bone on it, right? Yeah, that is true. Okay. I mean, the key thing to recognize is that you know, we have an aging population today, and much of our public policy has rightly been oriented around the needs of that aging population. We're talking about my mom. She's 72. And when my mom's demographic, when the boomers were coming of age as young adults, that was around sort of the mid-70s uh, to early 80s. And uh, that was a moment when earnings on average were much higher for full-time work for young people, and the cost of housing was much more reasonable. I can make it clear. Like, uh, it was not $9,000 more for the typical full-time worker in British Columbia as a young person in 1976 than it is today. And the average cost of housing was just barely over $200,000 in today's terms. Yeah. So you can then fast forward to today. This is such a massive change, earning thousands less for full-time work. And then the average cost of housing in the province is surpassed 600000 And in our region, and, you know, it's frighteningly close to a million. What do the numbers look like, though? Your mom's generation would have had a whole lot more people in it. I I know that this generation that you're talking about, this generation squeeze, is the next big force in our society. Uh, There still actually were a larger group. In many respects, the boomers uh, are the parents of the millennial group, so that younger of the two generations in Gen Squeeze. And their fertility rates weren't quite as high as... um, uh, as when the boomers were coming of age as young adults so for their parents. So the boomers are still a large group, but that is, when you think about it in the world of politics, politics responds to those who organize and show up. And it's not so much an issue of it's just boomers are more numerous than are the generations that follow. What is the case is that boomers have had more of a tradition of making the world of politics work for them, and they still have voter turnout rates that are much higher than their kids and grandchildren, and they're also much more effective at getting organized in between elections to make parties respond to them. And so what Gen Squeeze is largely about, in part with our Homes First petition that we recently launched, is to try and get our younger demographic inspired by how their parents and grandparents have made politics work for them, because that's solved big problems for an aging population now and in the past. And what we need to do is recognize many of the big problems in contemporary society have actually shifted toward younger adults, and now's the time to make the world of politics respond accordingly with some important adaptations to housing and a range of other policy areas. You make a lot of sense. Just 
I don't want to make too fine a point of this, but that generation, those boomers, had more money in the economy than the generation that we're talking about now. And and I'll I'll back you up by saying that the generation now is not keeping up wage-wise. But I'm wondering if the fact that there was more money in the economy had much of a difference in housing. What I can tell you is that housing prices closer than it is now. And what we had back then was still into, you know, the 60s and 70s, still some real uh, growth rates that played out into the 80s and then have started to stagnate thereafter. And so what we're seeing then is this complicated reality that when you live in a world where economic growth is slower today than it was a generation ago, the returns for your labor contributions to the workforce don't go up very much. Uh, they, at most, they're going to go up with, at the rate of growth, really, on average. But the returns to people's capital, things like housing, the evidence shows goes up much, much further, which is precisely what we've seen in Metro Vancouver. The value of housing has gone up far faster than has economic growth, leaving people's wages further and further behind. Now, if you had a home in the 70s or 80s and you just happened to see your wealth go up while your earnings didn't go up that much, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if you're now starting as a young adult trying to make a go of of it with wages that have lost ground relative to the major cost of living, you're in a much worse standard of living. Well said. Thank you. appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about the, the petition itself. How does it uh, go? What does it say? Who are you uh, petitioning? Yeah, so the petition comes on the um, on the feet of the fact that the provincial government has recently in the summer, we all know, introduced the 15% surtax on foreign investors in housing, and they've re-regulated uh, the real estate industry, so there's no longer that shady practice of shadow flipping. Uh, so what we are saying with this petition is, good start, and we're glad we started because we had to work hard in Generation Squeeze to actually get the provincial government to acknowledge that housing wasn't just unaffordable in a few neighborhoods in Point Grey, Vancouver, but actually it stretched to being unaffordable throughout Metro Vancouver and the province. And now that we've got a sense that there's some urgency required, we're saying, what do we do next? The foreign investor tax is not going to suddenly make housing affordable for those who've been trying to enter into the market recently or those who've taken on massive debts by doing so. And the question with our Homes First petition is saying, as we think about those policy details, let's remind ourselves, what's the primary purpose of the housing market? And the Homes First petition gives an answer that first and foremost, our housing marketing system has to be primarily about supplying efficiently homes that are suitable and in reach for what people can earn in the region where they're living. If people can make a return on their investment in housing, fabulous, but that goal has to be secondary to the primary goal of actually delivering homes efficiently that are in reach for what people can earn. And a lot of the discourse still is remaining around, well, how do we you know, make sure that people's equity in their homes continues to grow? And that's an interesting question to have, but if that's our aspiration, then all we will do is continue to exacerbate a situation where actually housing, whether as renters or aspiring homeowners, grows further and further out of reach for what young adults can work, can earn in this region, even when they're talented with tons of degrees, lots of education, and alas, and often start with large student debt. Fair enough. Actually Where's the, where is the petition? Where can we get it? You can get the petition at gensqueeze.ca and click on our Code Red campaign. So that's G-E-N-S-Q-U-E-E-Z-E dot C-A and click on the Code Red campaign to sign the Homes First petition. Uh, We'll talk again. Paul Kershaw is the founder of Generation Squeeze. We'll talk again soon. Looking forward to it. And uh, we'll take a quick break on Vancouver Consumer.
from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ever get that sinking feeling when you take your car in for repair, that you're overpaying or getting needless work done, or that you're just getting hammered? What to look for in a good auto repair shop? ABC Main Auto Center has been offering the most reliable automobile service in Vancouver for over 50 years, established in 1958 and currently a designated government vehicle inspection facility and the only uh, service center that I know of uh, that is uh, connected to downtown and other parts of Vancouver. So in other words, it's easy to get to. Uh, I'll, I will leave the explanation to my in-studio guest. Joining us this morning is A.K. Premji from ABC Main Auto Center. Now you're, um, oh, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you being here. Yeah. I'll get you to talk right into that microphone. Um, you're a Tireland... I'm trying to think of the right word. Franchise, obviously, but you're you're an independent. You're not. You don't have to answer to them directly. Yeah, is that correct? correct? Yeah, correct. Okay, but you do more than just Tireland. Uh, you do all kinds of repairs on everything. Yes. What What's the state of automotive repair these days? And the reason I'm asking that is a lot of people, particularly in this city, you, you don't have to look around too far. There's new cars on the road. There's mm-hmm. there's you don't see. Older, run-down vehicles, I mean, they're there, but you don't see them the way you see the new vehicles. Is there a huge call for automotive repair? And and taking that a step further is because a lot of these new cars don't need a lot of maintenance. No, no, not anymore. Um, you know, having all the new technology that's out there, it's, you know, it's not very common that we see all the new cars. I We barely see the new cars. We only see... The new, uh, the older cars and whatnot. So, typically, what's the kind of car that would pull into your shop? Um, we'll get the years between anything between '98 and 2011. Um, all the newer cars, you know, they're still under warranty. They have right. all the, you know, they uh, they have extended warranty and whatnot. So, but um, what yeah. do you recommend for people looking for a repair facility? They've got an, uh, an older car. They, they love it. It's comfortable. It does everything they need it to do, but it's broken. Uh, what's to look for when you're looking for a repair person? Because let's be honest, a lot of repair, automotive repair facilities have a lousy reputation. Yeah. People, as they sit off the top, they feel like they're getting burned. Yep. They, they feel like they're getting repairs done. Uh, you leave your car in the morning and you get your call the three, four hours. And oh, by the way, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, need, we need to replace the transmission. Uh, we need to replace the motor. Yeah. And while we're at it, let's get you a set of brand new tires. Yeah. And sometimes people, are, they're unsuspecting. They go, yeah, okay, that's you go ahead. You just do that and, yeah. and charge me whatever. Meantime, they could have bought a brand new car. Um, you know, the, the daily person that comes in here, you know, they be like, hey, this is what I need. Um, I'll give them like a full inspection report. Um, my mechanic will go through the whole car and... You know, in the next hour or so, we give a call and say, hey, this is what you need. And uh, they go from there, right? So, What kind of uh, diagnostic tools do you use? Uh, we have a snap-on scan tool. Um, we That's where we f- first start with um, to see if there's any, like, uh, old codes that have come up, old history codes maybe. Um, and then we just go basically for visual from brakes to tires to suspension um, we check all fluids, make sure that's all good, and then you know whatever needs to be repaired or replaced, we let them know, and then we get the job or not. 
What does it mean to be a licensed inspection facility? So there's only a few in Vancouver. Um, so having a license like that, so for people who are coming from a different province or an import or the U.S., um, they can only go to specific shops to get inspected so they can um, be able to get a BC license. So if I bring in a car from California, uh-huh. in order to get that vehicle licensed to drive here, yeah. I have to have certification, which you are authorized to do. That is correct. So what do you look for in my car from California that I want to bring up? Um, from California, we look for tires, brakes, suspension, um, you know, it goes all the way up to battery, wiper blades, um, a cracked window shield, like that would fail a vehicle. Um, what tip- about things like exhaust? Exhaust, yeah, absolutely. You're, you know, a muffler, tailpipe, anything that's got a hole in it, anything that's got rust on it, it would be a fail and would have to potentially be replaced if the customer wants to get it. So the smallest thing that fails, so your list is a, it's 100% or it's all or nothing? It's all or nothing. Okay. Yeah. So do people try and say, hey, look, it's only a stone chip on my windshield. Let, let's just let that go. We'll, yeah. we'll put that through. Does that happen a lot? Yeah. You know, majority of that is like if it were, you know, in a visual, if it's it's got to be uh, the crack has to be longer than, you know, 12 feet. And for me to be like, hey, you need to get your windshield replaced and, you know, and so forth. But stone chips here and there, you know, my mechanic would pass it it's not a problem so, right yeah and what does a service like that cost um so for usa and canadian uh other provinces are 115 plus taxes and like in jdm import like a right-hand drive is 135 plus taxes a lot of right-hand drive cars on the road in this city yeah and why is that is this a is this something that people want it's just the hipsters trying to take over um that too but having a right-hand drive um in japan your vehicle was only for three years, and then you end up getting a new one. Um, all the right-hand drives that we see, they're all like between the years of 98 to 2001 or two, but their mileage is like 30K, 60K, 75K kind right. of thing, right? They're very low mileage. That's why it's – and they're cheap. They're cheap to, to import over here. Well, typically when you say – I'm thinking of those vans. I can't remember the name of them. They're, they're quite high up. The tall vans, right-hand drive. You see a lot of them on the road. The Delicas? That's yeah, the, the one, yeah. Delicas, yeah. 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 Uh, what does something like that cost? Um, for them to import here, you'd probably be spending maybe six, seven grand. and so that's, yeah. that's really reasonable yeah. compared to – because they've got all the cargo space and everything else exactly. that exactly. the ones here have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and is there a pushback from the industry, the automotive industry, and thinking particularly new car sales to want to do away with these imported vehicles? Uh, no, no, no. Everybody's happy to. A- a- everyone's. Everybody happy. embraces yeah. that. Yeah. No, I would think that one of the things you'd want to watch for when you're selecting an automotive repair place, uh, because I think it's important that you do this before your car breaks down. It's like any other decision you make when you're talking about a large investment, and that is you want to be able to think with a clear mind and not be rushed. Yeah. So a certain level of trust, if you can establish that well in advance, I think goes a long way when you're faced with that crunch decision. Absolutely. So perhaps some of the things that we could offer is to to ask your friends, to talk to coworkers or associates and ask them for recommendations of shops. But one of the things that I would look for in a shop is 
first is personnel, of course. Uh-huh. I want to see who's running the place. Who, yeah. who, who am I dealing with? Who are the, the mechanics and that kind of thing? Yeah. I guess, again, I guess I'm, I'm using the wrong phrase when I say mechanics. I'm sorry. Technicians. Techn- yeah. I'm sorry. Some of them get offended. Some of them do get offended. I know, and that's why <laughs> that's why I caught myself. But I want to I want to make sure that the shop is tidy, it's Absolutely. clean, yeah. that it's there's not tools and and crap lying all over the place. So this is an important thing, and and, and do you recognize that as well that you have to put on a, a clean, good looking face to make sure that people who come into your shop see that? Yeah. No. You know, we dedicate a good. 45 to like hour in the beginning of the day. Uh, we open at 8. Our garage opens at 8.30. We take the half an hour to just clean, make sure everything is tidy, and, you know, the front office is nice and swept and mopped um, before anyone comes in. You know, it's your first impression, right? So The other thing that I think people want to consider when they're looking for an automotive repair facility uh, memberships and associations, uh, trade associations, and things like the Better Business Bureau, uh-huh. uh, the British Columbia Automobile Association, otherwise known as BCAA, yep. uh, ICBC. Uh, you're also part of uh, a fleet maintenance program. Correct. All these accreditations are important because these organizations want to be associated also with shops that that have they, they keep the promise. Yes. Yep. And if you're in bad standing, we can call any one of these organizations, Correct. and they'll say. They have a they're good or or they're not so good. Yep. And we were talking uh, in in our in the home discovery show last hour. We were talking about when things go wrong because things can go wrong. It's not so much the fact that they went wrong because we're all human. We all make mistakes. It's what do you do as a vendor or a proprietor or the owner of a business to make it right? Um, you know, if there was a job that we misdiagnosed or you know they came in and we fixed it and it ended up being something else um i will try to you know i'm not going to give anything out for free Mm -hmm. but i would you know try to do whatever i can to you know minimize the amount of you know if they have to do something else i would kind of maybe like help them out give more discount on the part or you know next time they come in maybe service you know doing if they're spending like a grand or something like that do like give them like a free oil change you know just so I could, you know, compensate for a mistake. Right. Uh, does it happen often at your shop? Um, it. There are times where it has, and there are times where it hasn't. Um, you know, it. It's. Uh, I try. We try to get my mechanics to not to take their time. You know, like I will always tell them, like, hey, I've told the customer, I need an hour to just diagnose everything. Do whatever you can to do to for you to know that hey, this is what needs to be replaced, or this is what needs to be fixed, and this is what not has to be fixed. It has happened, obviously. We're all human, but um, you know, I, I as a, as a manager, I try to be on top of it and make sure that it doesn't happen. Okay, automotive repair and service. Uh, you do brake work, truck repair service. Uh, we talked about your professional associations. Uh, another thing, key area. We're running out of time here, and I've got two more things that I want to discuss with you and. Uh, one is your sense of community. Are you out in the community? Do you participate uh, with sports teams or any kind of uh, civic involvement? Um, the only thing that we are, we are uh, we I guess kind of sponsor is um, we don't sponsor as a Thailand. We maybe sponsor as ABC. Right. But, um, there are a couple of customers that uh, their kids have uh, hockey teams. 
Yeah. So we kind of. That's exactly yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah. And that's uh, that's community involvement yeah. and community engagement. Finally, we only have a few seconds here, mm-hmm. but I did want to mention this. Uh, tires, obviously, Tireland. Tires is a big part of what you do. Yep. And a lot of people that have exotics come to you for tires yes. because you're obviously a trusted name in a, in a trusted shop. I mean, you've been there for 50 years. You you look hardly a day over 25. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 29. <laughs> well, there you go. See, you look young, you yeah. keep young, uh, yeah. and that's important. Uh, I can remember as a kid going there with my dad to uh-huh. have his car fixed, so it brings back some great memories for me. A.K. Premji from ABC Maine Auto Tireland on Main Street. Your Maine and... Maine and 4th. Maine and 4th. Thanks yeah. for coming in. No problem. It's Thank nice to me. talk to you. Yeah. You bet. Uh, we're going to come back, and we're talking fitness in just a moment on Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. We talked about fitness for your automobile. How about fitness for your your personal vehicle, your body, and perhaps your mind. Joining us in studio this morning is Saskia Hemmen, who is a certified personal trainer and FMS correction coach. What the heck is that? What, what does FMS stand for? The functional movement screen. Uh, it's something that happened a, a few years ago. It came around um, in the States and just made its way up into Canada, and it's becoming quite popular as a, a form of reference for any sort of... Um, personal training I'm going to get going with uh, a client, whether it's rehabilitation, where if it's specific training, somebody wants, you know, specific goals. It's kind of hard for me to play with a blank slate. And I don't really know much about um, the background of, you know, what's going on in your life. How do you move? So really, it's a it's an ideally it's a fitness test on how you move. Not really. Do you have to be certified to do that? Yes, yeah. you do. So you've obviously been trained to do this. And, and how does one become a certified personal trainer? Again, you have to go to school and you have to get all your certifications, all your qualifications. You put in your time, you do your hours, um, you do lots of shadowing, you do as as much as you can to learn from others. That's how I went and that's how I ended up where I am Um, and just take as much advice and failures and successes as you can and put them in the resume. The reason I ask that, and I don't want to name names here because that just simply wouldn't be fair, but I had an instructor once that was filling in for an instructor that was away at a boot camp and uh, he later came back and said he wasn't allowed to do that anymore because while he was certified in some aspects of physical fitness, he wasn't certified to do that actual class. So I, I was trying to understand at the time, are there different levels of certification for different things that you do? There is something that you have uh, is a, um, a group fitness certification or um, area of, of you know training that you're able to take on a, a group of 10, 15, 20 people and run them through a class. Um, you can be a trainer, but that doesn't mean, you know, depending on where you work, um, depending on which facility you're training in, depending if it's for your own business and you want to go out into a park and do that, that's fine. But certain facilities require um, a standard for that level of, of training within a group. Before we introduce our next guest, I want to ask you another question, and that is, do you prefer working one-on-one with people, or do you prefer working with groups? You know, that's a tough question, because I really enjoy the one-on-one time, um, because I get to see success happening in in a program um, setting, and I get to see, you know, how we succeed to the next level and the next one. With a group, it's a lot of fun. I just get to relax and be myself and, you know, get people to laugh. We're, We're sweating. We're up early. (laughs) <laughs> it makes a lot of fun. Absolutely. So Saskia Hemmen is with us. She's a certified, am I saying your name right? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, certified personal trainer and FMS correction coach. And uh, 
I want to open up the phone as well. 604-280-9898, star 9898, if you have any questions about physical fitness, and we'll get into some other things. So we can talk about nutrition as well if you want. TJ Sider is with us, certified strength and conditioning specialist, manual osteopath, and neurokinetic therapist. So if I, I thought if I said it that way, in case I, in case I blundered it, uh, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you very nice much. Nice to have you here. So is it fair to say that uh, you're hardcore? <laughs> no, I, I don't think. I'm just an education junkie, I think, more than anything. I just I don't seem to have enough uh, letters after my name, so I'm always searching for new ones. I never think that I know enough. With all these things that you've got, because you've got like a whole page of stuff, that, and we simply don't have time in this hour <laughs> to list all of your accomplishments. It just makes me sound pretentious anyway. Well, that, that's what I want to see. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, if, 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 if you are pretentious, that's fine. But we're not talking to those people today. We're talking to people that are just like me or, or just like anybody else that just want to get regular physical activity, try to be healthy and try to live a long, healthy life because if you're feeling good, that affects all aspects of your life. So what is your approach to physical fitness? Uh, mine's a little bit different. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've been doing this long enough um, to have my own facility. Um, and what that essentially has allowed me to do is take that <laughs> that huge amount of education and apply it to, you know, everyday people on an everyday basis. Um, we approach things a little bit differently because it, I, I run a system. You know, I have a fantastic group of, of team members that assist me doing that. Um, but we have a very different approach. So I uh, have a similar background to Saskia in terms of the FMS um, as well as other things. And what that's allowed me to do then is create um, a little bit more of a systemized approach to fitness. Okay. So we start with people kind of on a sliding scale. And yours is the, the strong side conditioning in New Westminster. How long have you been open there? Um, over three years now, we were we started off down on Front Street under a slightly different name, and then as the team expanded and we expanded, we um, we grew up. Okay, uh, if you want to see the, his website, it's a very good website, by the way, thestrongside.ca. Uh, you say in your literature, it's a, a unique and integrated training facility. So, what do you mean by that? Um, we don't just do one thing. I mean, that's one of the advantages of having the background that I do is we can tailor our approach to just about anybody. You know, I have um, rehabilitation clients working side by side with professional athletes and Olympians, and um, which is a pretty cool cool thing to have happen. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll put this out to either one of you, and, and you can jump in if, if whoever wants to. Well, what, what's the way to... Are we still faced with a lot of people that are sedentary and, and are not getting enough exercise? We hear about these people. Uh, how do we motivate these people to get off the couch and, and get into a gym or get into a personal trainer? You know, fortunately for Vancouver, Vancouverites are very active. If, if it's a day like this where it doesn't look so great, we're still going to get on a bike, head to the hills. You know, it's teach their own. Some people prefer to be in a gym setting. Some people would prefer to be outside, regardless of what you do, as long as you're keeping active and you're enjoying it. That's really the key. So if you are going to find yourself in a personal training scenario where, you know, you're scouting out somebody that fits best for you, it's, I always recommend doing your homework, finding out what their strengths are, what are they good at, um, what are their successes, and, and kind of go from there. Just, you know, closing your eyes and, and pointing and hoping is usually kind of the biggest fail f through. And, and it's really about personality. If you don't connect with that person, um, it's kind of hard to work on successes with them. Do you think that somebody like that would be better off with a personal trainer, or do you think that, that they would be better off in a group scenario, or is it up to their, their personality where they're best suited? 
Yeah, I think it's a personality thing. And, and you know, some people just love working with other people in a group setting because um, it almost makes them feel more encouraged to keep going. And yeah. some people are really good with that structured piece of paper. And this is what I have to do for the next four weeks. And then I carry on to the next one. So I'll say for myself, I prefer the group setting. And, and, and when I go to a class, uh, it's fun. You're with other people. You try to compete against them. It's not a, it's not a, a pronounced competition, but it, it's something that motivate, we motivate each other to keep going. Um, what, what do you say to people that say, okay, I'll, I'm going to get off the couch. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm going to go to the gym. And they do. And, they, and, and we've seen, <laughs> I know you've seen it. I know I've seen this. And they come and they just give it. And they give it all they got. And they end up puking at the end of the class or the end of the session. And then they go home and they're so sore and they're so, what have I done to myself? And they never come back. And I don't think anybody wants that. It's not the smartest approach either. I mean, you know, unfortunately, everybody seems to think that they have to go completely all out every single session in order to get results. And realistically, that's just not the case. Like you just pointed out, you can't handle that kind of intensity for that long. I mean, there's certain people that can, but they've also probably built up to it or they're just lucky. You know, most people can't. So I always laugh when I see people, um, you know, on social media are talking about it, that they have to go all out. This whole beast mode idea, I think, is a little ridiculous. Um, You know, I think... People need to understand that your body has levels of adaptation, right? You have to be able to do something and then let your body recover and let it get better at it so that the next time you do the same thing, it's a little bit easier, right? It's why a lot of fitness programs get really sticky. You know, people feel like they're not making any progress anymore. You decided to pick up spin class. Okay, good. Fantastic. Good for you. And then four weeks later, five weeks later, you're going, well, that's not really hard anymore. You know, or it's way easier than it was when I first started. Yeah, because you got better at it. Because you're conditioned. Yeah, right, exactly. So you have to always be doing things to make it more difficult. But those are, you know, that should be done, you know, kind of on a... a, on a smart scale. You don't want to just suddenly jump into the deep end again after you've gotten your feet wet. Now, I know we have people listening right now that are advanced in their physical fitness and their workout regime. For somebody who's just starting, how do you want to approach it with them? How do you get them going so they'll keep them coming back? Well, first of all, honestly, don't hurt them. Um, I know that we box everybody that comes in the front door. First, we beat you up, then we toss you around a little bit. But sure, but of course you do because I mean, a lot of people jump into these. You know, into um, what I'm getting at here. Let me be specific because we live in this world where we switch on and switch off with everything. So we all want that that magic bullet. We want that quick fix. I want to lose 20 pounds by Saturday. Make it happen. It, man, if I could, I'd be worth a heck of a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. So, but you get that, don't you? Yeah. Both of you get that. Do you not see that all the time? Well, I mean, there's there'll be seasons where I'll have people, the same people in a class, consistently for like all of spring, and I won't see them. I won't see them until January, you know. Right. And then once January comes, that they're just getting their butt kicked again. Sure. Um, and then I don't see them again for another couple months. So that inconsistency is really difficult for me because I don't really know what's gone on the last few months. I don't know why you weren't there. Maybe you had an accident and something's not working so well. And for me, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't really know where your parameters are and that injury prevention. And I don't want to hurt you and kick your butt. Right. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, we're talking physical fitness, but when we come back, I want to ask about what the connection between physical and mental fitness are. And we'll do that. Also, I want to invite your call if you're listening and you have any questions about physical fitness. We've got a couple of fitness experts with us this uh, morning. It's Saskia Hemmen, who is a certified personal trainer and FMS correction coach with the South Arm Community Center. 
and the president of Strong Side Conditioning is T.J. Sider, who is a certified strength and conditioning specialist, manual osteopath, and neurokinetic therapist, among many, many other things. Our phone number, 604-280-9898, or star 9898, if you're on your mobile device. We'll be back in a moment on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. Saskia Hemmen is a certified personal trainer and FMS correction coach at South Arm Community Centre. And uh, TJ Sider, who's also in studio with us, is the president of Strong Side Conditioning, which is a facility in New Westminster, thestrongside.ca. So I put this to both of you. Uh, we could ask uh, both of you to respond, or we can ask one of you to respond. What is the connection between physical and mental fitness? <laughs> Do you want to take that one? No. Uh, well, I, I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, one of the things that's been shown in studies is one of the few ways to actively continue to exercise your brain is with physical fitness. You know, it, it actually combats aging, which is, you know, really cool on, on our side of things. Plus, you know, it gives you a whole host of tools to use when you're, uh, when you're exercising. The idea that you have to push past barriers or try something new or go outside of your comfort zone. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Hi, Diana. Hello. I, it's so nice you've always got good people on, and this is no exception. Um, I was able to get off the codeine uh, mid-July because the prima forma muscle was pushing against the sciatic nerve. Ouch. And I've been going to, um, it was the chiropractor that did so much. I've been going to a, a, uh, a very, very good place here in Langley. If there's any exercises or anything that you can suggest, there are certain ones I'm doing, but anything else to kind of stretch that prima forma muscle, anything I would really appreciate knowing. Okay, well, I just want, just before we get an answer, great question, and we just want to be certain to let you know that we're, obviously we can't do any diagnosis over the radio or right. over the phone, but we can talk in, in general terms. So if you could address that in general terms, uh, of what Diana is talking about, perhaps we can find something that she can try in terms of exercise. Yeah, I've I've seen that one a couple of times. Um, that muscle is is an unusual one, just due to where it sits in the body. It's it's in deep inside the hip joint. Um, a lot of times, what we see if that is the problem, and again, I, I don't know without going through a full analysis or talking to your chiropractor, but. Usually what ends up happening is there's a problem with stability. So your body doesn't feel very comfortable doing what it's doing on a day-to-day basis. And what that muscle can do is create stability by compressing your hip. I know that sounds kind of complicated, but it allows your body to just create stability out of nothing. And unfortunately, where that muscle is and what it does, it tends to press against that nerve. We hear a lot of times talking with with pressed nerves and sciatica, which is generally, uh, that's what it is. It's really painful, and it's really uh, it, it causes a lot of disability. Is this something that you work with, or does this is this a discipline that you need to go outside for? Well, usually both. I mean, in all honesty, you know, trying to correct it by yourself is is not your best option. I mean, I, I think, you know, like we do at my facility, having an integrated approach is always better. If you can structure your training to coincide with what the medical professionals are, are getting, you know, the, the patient to do, then so much the better. They're going to get way better results that way. Hi, Matt. Hey there. Go ahead. My, my question regards diet. I, I've just been on a diet program and in the last four months lost 40 pounds. Good for uh, you. Not, and they asked me not to exercise while I was doing this process. Now, I used to be a classic case of go to the gym, you know, work through there for three months, run out of steam, whatever weight I lost, I'd gain. 
I think diet was at the core of all this. Now that I'm 40 pounds lighter, my energy level is triple. I'm sleeping mm-hmm. better. And now I feel ready to go to the gym and do all this extra stuff. But I think it's a cart before the horse if you try to exercise your way thin uh, without confronting diet and addressing diet, which is where 80 to 90% of weight loss comes from anyway. What, like one thing I would say, Matt, just before you go on, what, what I have found personally, and I want to get the comments of our, of our guests here, is that when you eat crap, you feel like crap. When you eat good food, you feel, you feel better. And when you're physically fit and eat good food, that food becomes fuel, and it just that's the cycle you want to get on. And I think that's part of what you're saying. Is diet the um, and once you've changed your evil ways after four months of losing weight, you have no inclination to go back to your previous habits, which is what I, including alcohol, which has been a challenge for me over the years. But it's it's what it does now. It sets me up now. If I go and want to ride my bike or go for walks or go to the gym, I'm in good good shape to do that as opposed to trying to do it the other way around. And I think the emphasis on diet is really critical. My blood pressure went down to 105 over 60, and my doctor couldn't believe it. Wow. I didn't even know that was good, but apparently it's great. You're the poster boy for physical fitness and good health, and we appreciate your call. We want to move along, Matt, but thank you. I think that's a great call. Uh, any comments? Well, I think that's a great success to have, you know, lose all that weight um, strictly based on nutrition. I think that's a, a huge thing that I come across when people come in and scout me out at, at South Arm for a personal training is um, they're, they're hoping and expecting that I'm going to write this program for success and it's going to be all done in our one hours on the floor together, you know, two, three times a week. Unfortunately, that's not it. If you don't do your homework, it's not going to work with my program and there won't be any success. So you have to do your, your part and the part is nutrition, hugely. What's the difference between going to a community center outlet like your, like yours at South Arm or going to a facility like, uh, like yours, uh, a strong side conditioning? Well, I think the great thing that the the community offers is is a wide variety of of specialties with different trainers that we have. So we all have different certifications. We have different backgrounds, um, and and you know you get a choice of you know who you feel you're best paired with. Um, the great thing at TJ's gym is people actually look for him specifically because they have specific needs that they need to accomplish, or whether they are in a rehabilitation state that they. They need to have a little bit more one-on-one supervision during their floor work because, you know, it could be out of an injury prevention or um, safety reasons. So uh, that's a great thing about the community centers, though, is, is it's, it's, it's a, a place for anybody in the community to come on in. I can help with a functional movement screen, um, figure out what's going on, what's not working for you, and put, put you on a path to a better fitness program that you can do on your own or um, come into a class and do it with us. What's the... the, the the amount of time you need, uh, we talk about, uh, there's, what is it, the 20,000 or is it 30,000 or is it 100,000 steps a day that you're supposed to take? <laughs> that, you remember that program that came out a few years ago? Ten, I don't know. 10,000 10, 10, steps a day. <laughs> I think is where that was. 10,000? Yeah. Yeah. I do 10,000 uh, steps a day just pacing around the studio, actually, <laughs> when, I, when I get uncooperative guests and, I, and I'm trying to figure out what we're going to say next. But Tearing your hair up. Exactly. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to understand the level of fitness that, I mean, people think that they have to go to the gym for two hours or three hours a day. What is, what is a good amount of time to be spending every day or every week? Um, I think it, it depends on where you're at currently. But I mean, if you're currently doing nothing, then doing anything is, is a heck of a lot better than that. Um, 
you know, generally speaking with most of the people that come into my facility, we usually do at least three days a week of, of good quality weight training. And then on top of that, anything else is really a bonus. You know, you can scale it depending on your time or what your goals are. If you want to do it faster, you can add in more targeted exercise. You can add in, um, you know, we call it energy systems work, but other people would know it as cardio. Um, you can add in other activities, stuff that you like to do, um, you know, add yoga, add Pilates, add boot camps, all is that kind of stuff. Is it too much to go and work out every day? Not necessarily as long as you're getting enough recovery. And I think that's the thing that people forget most often is the fact that if you're going to train for two hours, that's fine, but you better be able to handle it afterwards. So proper nutrition, proper rest. What does recovery mean? What do you, we hear that term recovery, but what exactly does that mean? Well, you're only able to adapt to what you can recover from. So if you go into a training session and you beat yourself up all the time, um, eventually your body's just going to break down. And you see that all the time. You know, people start to develop injuries or pains and aches and stuff that just don't ever seem to go away. And that's, you know, that's a big problem. That's, that's not a good main, thing, is no, it? No, it's one of the reasons why people quit their exercise well, What about people that say, I go to the gym, you know, I, I've got this ache, I got this pain, but it's because I go to the gym every day. You really should not be in pain, should you? No, there's a big difference between a muscle ache or being sore from a workout and, and pain. And I think that's one thing that people need to recognize. And if that's the case, then you, you have to go to somebody who's a little bit more specialized, either a, you you know, a medical professional or a, um, a soft tissue practitioner, somebody like a physiotherapist, chiropractor, or, or you know, like myself. What about these uh, these so-called gym rats? The the boys, it's usually boys, although girls do do this as well. I notice there's more and more actually uh, that are doing this. That you know, they're all their only concern is being big and bulky, and uh, I guess through that intimidating. I'm not really quite sure. Is it a showcase? to expand their tattoos. Uh, what about that? A lot of these people, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them have supplements and a variety of different things that they ingest that, that help to achieve those goals. And what's your feeling on that? Um, again, everybody's goals are relative to what they want to accomplish. So if those guys are happy and they want to just build as much muscle as possible, then, you know, power to them. That's fine. You know, it's not for everybody. They don't you know, nobody else is forcing them to do that. So supplements and stuff is a very different conversation. Um, there's a huge variety of them out there. Some of them are really good. Some of them are really bad. You know, as, as a general rule, people don't need much as long as your nutrition is on point and you're recovering properly. But, you know, the minute you start getting outside of that, you probably need more help. Right. So it works, sure, but it depends on the goals. Yeah, and, and I would guess it's probably a good idea to consult with a physician. Yeah, always. I mean, that's, you know, we can't get around that. You well, have to we, talk we to We see doctors. a lot of that at the community center. It's the younger youth who are going for that. So uh, fortunately, what we've done is we've taken over the whole orientation process for teens and youth, and um, we've now structured a, a workout program for them. So right. when they come on in, they get an actual program that they help create with me. So they're not just coming in and just kind of exploding on the floor protein powders everywhere actually talk about nutrition <laughs> exploding and, protein powders <laughs> everywhere you know and that there's no sense they're, they're they're not even there yet they just have to learn how to eat right especially at that age but yeah. that is one thing i will say about south arm community centers in fact you will not uh, let that youth category into the gym facility until they've done the orientation and i think that's a great move yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was great. It was great that, to create that um, a while back with the rest of the community and 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 give something to to the youth. I mean, I started in the industry when I was fourteen, and I walked into community center and saw some guy doing thirty pound dumbbell curls. I grabbed them and started doing them because I didn't know any right. better. But is that across the board at all community centers or just at South Arm? Everywhere, yeah. at the city of Richmond wide. City of Richmond. Yeah. Okay, what is what is this so called Vancouver phenomenon? <laughs> that's uh, sorry, that's me. Um, 
when I first moved here um, a number of years ago, and I've been in the industry, by the way. Okay, when I first moved here, uh, you know, a number of years ago, one of the things that I noticed was this Vancouver phenomenon because I didn't have another way of putting it. Everybody here assumes that in order to get a good workout or if a a workout was effective, you have to have had your butt kicked. Um, (laughs) You know, there's no other option. If I didn't sweat and I don't, you know, feel like I've been put through the ringer, then my workout wasn't worth anything. And I think that's the thing that people need to get away from you know, is the fact that you don't have to go through all of that pain all of the time in order to get good results. Well, you know? I just like to sweat and leave it on the mat without cleaning it and annoy <laughs> everybody. Just like mop in after you. <laughs> you know, I, in fact, I thought that was one of the reasons why they did so many on-the-floor exercises because the gym was just too darn cheap to clean it. So, <laughs> so, they, so they literally wiped the floor with the you? Just human yeah. broom. Uh, this has been fun, and maybe we can do a segment again in the future because I, I, I think that it's important that we have this conversation at a level that people can understand and feel comfortable about what they're doing when it comes to their physical fitness. So I want to thank you. Saskia Hemmen is with a South Arm Community Center, a certified personal trainer and FMS correction coach. You can be reached at the community center sure at South can. Arm. And the president of Strong Side Conditioning in New Westminster, the strongside.ca, TJ Sider. Thanks, both of you, for, for coming us. in. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us. Shane Foxman is next with CKNW Weekend. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.